HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Garden Cult, garden design and coaching. For a 15% discount on virtual garden consultations and coaching sessions, use code HRN15. Learn more at gardencult.com. Good evening and welcome to Eating Matters, where we talk about food systems and policy and how they impact all of us. I'm your host, Jenna Liute, and we're broadcasting on Heritage Radio Network. Out of control, greenhouse gas emissions exacerbate climate change. We've known this connection to be true for some time, and the Biden administration's recommitment to environmental advocacy and conservation work has helped remind us of the urgent need to understand and combat climate change. Today, we're going to dive deeper into the understanding part. Who are the people doing the -the on-the-ground work? We keep hearing calls to to trust the science, but what methods and studies does the science entail? We're grateful to have Francesco Tubiero speaking with us today about the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization's most recent report that clearly demonstrates food systems account for more than one-third of global greenhouse gas emissions and provides critical guidance for holistic mitigation efforts. Francesco, welcome to the show. Okay, thank you very much. Um, so first, can you give us a brief interview, uh, overview of the history and mission of uh, FAO? Does it solely focus on global food insecurity? Uh, well, it, it does focus on a you know, wide range of things that relate to food and, and agriculture in general. So FAO, as many may know or not, is the uh, specialized uh, UN agency for food and agriculture. Um, it was funded uh, right after World War II, uh, you know, when, uh, you know, there were huge problems, you know, larger than today about food security around the world, you know, with uh, with a mission to uh, increase understanding of, you know, novel techniques that countries could adopt to, to produce more food for, for the rest of the world. And of course, from then on, you know, so the initial focus was largely on agricultural production, but then it expanded to, you know, the entire range of production and distribution and inequalities and poverty and all the various, um, you know, dynamics that, that relate to food and, and nutrition. And you work across all, all countries, all global, like the entire global community, all countries are involved in this work? Yeah, uh, we have... Uh, Basically, all countries in the world are, are members of FAO. I think we have uh, some 194 countries and, and uh, 
one associate and one organization, which is actually the EU, so 196 in total. And yeah, I mean, depending on the kind of projects that you work, you end up uh, either through you know big regional workshops or bilateral talks and, and interactions to, to work with many countries around the world. And tell me about yourself. How long have you worked uh, at FAO and what is your role there? Um, well, I've been at FAO almost uh, 10 years uh, and I am... Uh, so-called uh, senior statistician there. I, I basically had the, um, the group that uh, produces uh, environmental statistics that relate to food and agriculture. Um, those are basically the data that are then disseminated in, in Faustat for, for the, you know, your, your listeners that know about Faustat. It's, it's basically one of the largest repositories of, of food and agricultural data around the world. Um, so that's that's what I do. We, you know, good part of my work is collecting data from countries and analyzing them, and then disseminate them at the end of the year, and then use those data to to release and and do a whole bunch of analysis that revolve on various aspects of of environmental impacts, for example, or input use. Um, yeah, that's about it. I mean, I have. Um, a larger career before joining FAO in academia. I was actually in the U.S. working on climate change and, and impacts and issues related to agriculture. And that's, I guess, how it got me close to them working at FAO. Ah. And how does your work um, intersect with the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, whose reports mm-hmm. we have covered in the past um, mm-hmm on the show, for example, or other departments within the UN? Do you collaborate? I'm assuming. Yeah, no, no, in, in, in many ways. So, well, for, first of all, there is a, a, you know, loosely called climate change uh, unit in, in FAO that, let's say, has the, the, the primary mandate to interact with IPCC. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I've actually been um, a lead author of, of several reports. Um, starting, I guess, from AR4 back in 2007 mm-hmm. uh, and always working, well, initially, you know, in, in my previous role as, as, a, as a scientist working in the area, but then also from within FAO. So, for example, we provide now data on greenhouse gas emissions to the IPCC reports, uh, among other agencies that, that then provide, uh, you know, independent type of data to do a proper synthesis. Um, yeah, so, you know, we also interact with, uh, developing guidelines that countries follow to report their emissions, uh, to the, the climate convention and, you know, in general, a whole set of issues that revolve around food. I mean, there was a special report in 2019 on, um, on land and climate change, which of course included agriculture as a, as a big core mm-hmm. of that report. Yeah. So, so let's say largely we, we, interact at, at uh, you know, at, at a scientific technical level with IPCC. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay, so I want to talk a little bit about the, you know, the repercussions of greenhouse gas emissions um, on a warming planet, um, sort of do a, a bit of a primer. Um, mm. So can you kind of remind us, for those who aren't seeped in the science every single day, the connection between greenhouse gas emissions mm-hmm. and climate change and tell us a little bit about what greenhouse gases are maybe more potent that per- perhaps we should be focusing on reducing first. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, well, yeah, that's a... <laughs> I know it's a, that's it's a, very, a broad that's subject. A very, yeah, no, no, but, <laughs> that to be, but to be concise uh, for those who might be know less about this. So, I mean, we, we you know, there, there is a, a concentration of gases in the atmosphere naturally there um, that keep the earth uh, warmer than it than it would otherwise be. And that's that's why we call it the greenhouse effect, right? It's, it's more or less the same way that, that a glass keeps uh, warmth within a, within a greenhouse. Um, and, you know, there are a number of gases that are important, but there is a, a triad, let's say, of so-called uh, trace gases, and primarily is CO2, right, carbon dioxide, uh, methane and nitrous oxides, um, which are also produced in large amounts by human activities, right? Mm-hmm. So whereas there is, a, let's say, an equilibrium level that has existed, you know, since uh, the beginning of, uh, of, of uh, well, for many years, <laughs> uh, for hundreds of thousands of years, um, since the beginning of our, you know, very large uh, industrial activities and, and, and growth as in, in terms of population numbers and, and on as, 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 you know, as increased in the atmosphere uh, significantly. So especially over the last uh, 100 years. So just to provide you know, context, I mean, the CO2 levels in the atmosphere today are about 400 and in fact, these days are over 420 parts per million. Mm-hmm. which is very small, right? It's, it's like, uh, it would correspond to something like 0.04% in terms of concentrations in the atmosphere, you know, whereas oxygen is 21%. Mm-hmm. But they tra- they trap heat very effectively. And so those levels of 420 parts per million, you know, at equilibrium, we're more like 280, 300. So we've, we've up, we're up about 40% uh, with respect to the natural level. And, okay. and that that delta translates into you know more more heat that it's trapped by our planet and then translates in, in temperature increases. And then I mean CO two is not necessarily or is it the most potent? I mean compared to something like methane or fluorinated greenhouse gases, mm-hmm. which I read about for the first time in your report. Mm. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I mean. <laughs> um, Yes and no. I mean, certainly, you know, there is there is a concept that we call the the global warming potentials. You know, where we compare different gases to the impacts of CO two. Mm-hmm. So if you if you take CO two to to have an impact of one in terms of its you know, its effect on warming the planet, then you know, depending on how you measure it, but let's say you know, ballpark uh, methane is about thirty times more potent. So one ton of methane emitted in the atmosphere would end up warming the planet about 30 times more than the same amount uh, emitted in CO2. Uh, nitrous oxides, you know, almost 300 times. And then you, you get into the fluorinated gases that can have, you know, thousands of times more impact. Now, the catch is, of course, that the, the, the emissions in, in absolute amounts are far bigger in CO2, but that uh, doesn't really do away with the problem, especially, you know, over the last uh, century, let's say the, the amount of warming that we've created other than CO2 is now about a, a third of the total in, in terms of the other non-CO2 gases. Okay. So it's important. Bad. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, and what are the global effects of a warming planet? Like why does FAO dedicate time to studying this issue given its 
mission and focus um, mm-hmm. on global food insecurity, for instance, within a within a growing population? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, the, the, the straight answer is that agriculture is, you know, perhaps among the, the, the various human activities, the one that most depends on, on external climate, right? Uh, at least it has uh, so far in, in the last uh, 8,000 years of agricultural <laughs> production and civilization. So, you know, a changing planet with a warming planet on the one hand and, you know, much increased frequency of extreme events, which is what is projected by the models, but increasingly what we see on our daily lives, unfortunately, um, you know, that poses risks of increased crop failure, you know, uh, not necessarily on a, you know, larger, you know, on a large scale, but, you know, in places where it might become uh, fundamental to, you know, to, in, you know, where you might want to instead increase production because of, of uh, development patterns. Um and so it's it's clearly a a problem, right? So we mm-hmm. talk, for example, about adaptation uh, when we talk about you know climate change impacts, which means trying to figure out within uh, a basket of possibilities what are the kind of things that can be done to minimize those risks that we know are coming. To me, it seems like there is a lot of concern about our collective international ability to feed a growing planet, yet Mm -hmm. not nearly enough attention to mitigating the effects of climate change in order to do so. Do you think that, do you agree that there's this disconnect? And if so, why do you think this, that is? You mean in in relation to agriculture? Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, um, couple of things you know first of all obviously as you said i mean the, the agriculture is is at the basis of our entire civilization right we need to eat to stay alive and produce and 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 progress so the the main focus historically has always been on production and on techniques to either maximize the production or or limit you know potential dangers um that come from that you know, they come from climate change to that production. Now, um, then a couple of things, right? I mean, certainly also historically, the, the emissions of fossil fuels, you know, are used for, for energy have been far larger, let's say, if, if you look at the last 50 years, um, than anything that had come from agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, except, like you mentioned before, once you start thinking of, um, well, CO2 is also important, but non-CO2 gases, methane, nitrous oxides, which instead agriculture is a primary producer, then that, that attention has increasingly shifted, right? Uh, mm-hmm. To arrive more or less to the kind of work that we're producing today, where we are trying to point out areas where, where agriculture can play a, a role in mitigating climate change. Um, if I may add, I mean, there's always been a pull, right, between the right and the need for people to produce enough food for to survive and, and, mm-hmm. and beyond, right? So food security concerns versus, um, you know, th- things that, that should change to then limit those impacts onto climate. And I think that that sort of pull and, and, and uh, has not been only limited to agriculture. I mean, historically, you might have heard of, you know, people discussing 
problems with uh, employment, let's say, right? If certain industries in that produce CO2 would have to, to curtail their, their production. So although you need to do both, it's also understandable why people have this sort of uh, uh, fight in, in how to best address it. Do you think, um, have you seen a shift over the course of your career um, in the recognition that people give to food and ag's contribution to climate change? Well, certainly. I mean, we, you know, when I started, um, no one really, you know, although it's a well-known fact that agriculture was a big emitter, you know, if you think historically, even before the Industrial Revolution, agriculture was actually the primary emitter of CO2 into the atmosphere through conversion of land use for agriculture. But agriculture per se never played a, 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 an important role earlier, earlier on in, in mitigation. Um, I would say over the last 15 years, um, it started to, to gain momentum when people you know, pointed out that many of the things that you would do to make agriculture, let's say, more resilient um, to the impacts of climate change, they realized that many of those things would also bring about you know, better ecosystems, functions, which means more carbon sequestered into the soil or, and so on and so forth. Then that provided sort of impetus for looking at the two things together. And, and I think that's still what, you know, especially from, from institutions like FAO, what you would want. You, you want to investigate solutions that do both, right? And, and don't put at risk food security uh, just for the sake of reducing emissions, you know, as mm-hmm. important as that may be. Right. Okay, so let's transition into the recently released study that you co-authored uh, in collaboration with the European Commission's Joint Research Center. How was this study conducted and what is new or different about the work that you did? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so a, a couple of things. So like I said before, um, including especially from FAO, right? So we had spent the last, uh, I would say, a decade or so in, in trying to, you know, increasingly better quantify the emissions from, from agriculture first. So mm-hmm. when I say agriculture, I mean uh, mainly crop and livestock production, although you know, agriculture includes, at least from an FAO perspective, also forestry production um, and fisheries, right? But, mm-hmm. but let's, let's think about, let's say, the, the farm gate production and the emissions that come from 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 that uh, mm-hmm. uh, side. So we did that. Um, and then we spent a lot of time also in, in trying to quantify the... Uh, so those emissions are mostly non-CO2, so methane from livestock largely, and then nitrous oxides from fertilizers used and, and, and the like. Um, then we spend a lot of time adding the, the CO2 emissions, so the carbon that comes from the destruction of ecosystems turned into agriculture, and that's mostly deforestation around the world. So there's a lot of, of, of work that's been spent, uh, you know, let's say within the farm gate and at the boundaries between farm gate and natural ecosystems. And, and, and that, you know, over time has brought, you know, this message that I think is sort of synced in that uh, agriculture and land use are, are a very important component on, you know, the, the whole emission pie, you know, up to a quarter. Uh, mm. Then over time, they become more like, let's say, between 20 and 25%. So we were at that stage. 
And then um, just recently, and especially this year, you may know that you will certainly know there is a, an important UN uh, summit on food uh, and on food systems in particular. Mm -hmm. So the attention started to to shift to that question. You know, once you characterize the emissions within farm gate and on land, you know, how much more do food uh, does food contribute once you start thinking about everything that's associated to food, you know, after after it's been produced, you know, from processing to manufacturing to, you know, all, the whole uh, supply chain and, and consumption. And so uh, there had been a lot of studies on that, but they were very generic. So they, they came up with, num you know, global numbers on trying to figure out what the contribution could be. So we had some idea, but the novelty of this study, and to get back to your question, is that no one had actually been able to quantify it, you know, in a through a database. Database means you have information for all the countries in the world over, uh, let's say, su sufficiently long time period. In, in this case, 1992, more or less present. And so the novelty of the study has been the, you know, more than uh, than the. Uh, adding the, the science of what the global contribution is, you know, the, the provision of a tool that then every, everybody can use to look what happens in, in their country and compare that to other countries in the, around the world. And sorry, did I, I just want to confirm, so 25% of emissions of greenhouse gases are from land use, agricultural land use. That's the, the starting point. Yeah, actually today is more like 20%, right? Because these emissions... Tend, you know, in, in relative in relative terms, tend to go down over time, and we you know we we can discuss in the course of the interview why that is so. Let's, let's say today, more or less, twenty percent of those emissions come from from the land, land use, and the farm. Land use and the farm. Okay, and so what the study does was was really take a broader view to incorporate. Yeah, the other aspects are the supply chain that contribute. Um, okay, so let's so let's talk about some of the key key findings of your report. What were some of the you know top takeaways in terms of top emitters by country, emission breakdown by by sectors within the um, you know food industry and throughout the mm -hmm. supply chain? Yeah. Well, so I mean, the, the takeaway message that comes from 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 the paper is is. You know, a, a firming up of of the number of the total contribution of food systems. You know, as the entire concept mm -hmm. um, on the pie of, of total anthropogenic emissions on the planet. And, and as you've seen in the paper, so we we say now about a third, right? A little bit more than a third, thirty three, thirty four percent in in two thousand and fifteen, which is the last year that was a, where we were able to make firm uh, uh, estimates. Right. So basically what that says is that that additional component, you know, beyond food production and the farm gate. Um, you know, so we said about 20 percent. So there is another 10, 15 percent uh, of additional emissions which had not been previously quantified. Not that we didn't know about it, but we, mm -hmm. we weren't able to quantify them so so specifically. That that's let's say a global level, right? The the, the global level results. Um, then uh, the other part that I think it's important that comes out of the paper is the different interplay that these emissions have in, in different parts of the world, depending on development status, right? And in a sense, some of 
these things, you know, exposed, uh, and I wouldn't say are obvious, but uh, they they sort of self-explain themselves once you once you mm-hmm. think about them. So, and again, just put it, put in your in in your mind the fact that in addition, this is gets quantified country by country, and then in a sense is is the added value of the paper. But basically, what comes out is is a, it's a confirmation that. You know, as countries are sit, let's say, in, in a more traditional uh, and therefore less developed, you know, overall e- economic uh, uh, situation, uh, the majority of the, the emissions that come from the food systems are basically due to to land conversions, right? So the deforestation mm-hmm. that happens around the world and, and other important. Uh, phenomena. For example, in, in certain parts of the world, people drained uh, drained their natural peatlands, and burned them okay. to make space for 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 cert- certain plantations, and, and that is a huge emitter of of CO two. Um, and then, as you move over the development, and, and this is something you know that you might also be known in terms of of development paths, but it was never quantified. As you move. Along your development path, you start solving your your let's say natural ecosystem problem, right? Because you you, you know you don't convert, you, you learn how to use your land more efficiently. So you so don't let, less sort of deforestation, let's say less deforestation, perhaps. less destruction mm-hmm. of natural ecosystems. But mm-hmm. then, as you develop your your systems more effectively, quote unquote, right? Um, then you start spending a lot more energy in processing food, right? Uh, mm-hmm. To create higher you know, higher value from 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 various food items, and therefore in that category of countries, then you get a lot more CO two emissions from the second part, let's say, of the, of the emission chain that we refer to. So the, the the processing, the supply chains, the consumption, right, and and the, mm-hmm. and, and and the waste, let's say. Um, so yeah, I think these are the main point. The, the other interesting outcomes is that because now you have a database rather than just talking about you know regional and global trends, you can actually look at in individual countries uh, and and the weight that they have in in these emissions. And, and I think um, the, the interesting part of this paper is that. You know, if you look at the top countries, and I'm not sure <laughs> I want to uh, name them name them all, but there is now a mix. You know, you can see in this list there is a mix of both developing countries and developed ones for for the interplay of what I just said, right? Mm-hmm. So countries in Southeast Asia, you know, like like in Indonesia, come up on top because basically they're still very heavy in that phase of uh, conversion of natural ecosystems to establish. Mm-hmm. Uh, food production, some of which is actually for export, by the way. So there are additional problems there that could be invested. Certainly, yeah. Um, and then, and then there are other countries which are basically, you know, don't necessarily have a history even of big conversions, if not, you know, thousands of years ago. But you know, so China, for example, comes in as, as a, an important emitter uh, because of the strong development path that it, it has had over the last, you know, ten, twenty years, which basically is added that the CO two component. On the, um, on the, uh, you know, on as a weight in its own emissions. Uh, apart from being a big country, <laughs> of course, mm-hmm. and, and therefore having a lot of livestock and so on and so forth. Um, are are they a huge amount of? Are they a big pr- producer as well? Um, or mm-hmm. is like you know, in terms of the? So we can just 
uh, go ahead and I can I I, I could list them <laughs> according to <laughs> some of what I read. The top emitters: China, Indonesia, the United States, Brazil, the EU, right. and India. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And as you see, exactly, you know, it's this, this interesting mix of developing and developed countries, which you, you don't see if you only looked at, let's say, agriculture plus land use, where in fact right. only developing countries come up on top because of that, you know, strong yeah. like, conversion component. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah I mean, they're all, they're all big producers um, of different things, right? So China, of course, is a, lot, you know, has, is a big producer by, by the fact that it, it has a very large population and a large area. Um, and, um, you know, same thing for Indonesia and Brazil there, although, you know, the, the large, um, the reason for their large emissions there is, is mostly for the land conversion. So deforestation in Brazil and a lot of peatland, um, drainage and fires in Indonesia, of which, of course, you know, we're not discovering anything here through this study. I mean, the New York Times last year ran a you know, whole series of stories on the smoke that comes out in that part of the world from, from simply the burn, you know, drainage and burning of, of peatland. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so... I was wondering why Indonesia was, was on top, because I feel like we hear about the, the U.S. and China, mm-hmm. perhaps India, um, yeah. you know, often in terms of top emitters. But mm-hmm. I was wondering about Indonesia and, and, is, and Brazil just seems to me maybe like, I mean, they are, is Brazil considered still a developing country? Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of how, you know, uh, UN, World Bank and OECD sort of divide up the world, which, you know, in part is, is, is only for convenience, but certainly. So what we speak about are, of course, are emer- of, we speak of, of emerging economies, you know, with mm-hmm. very strong development pathways and accelerated ones. So, um, yeah. But but the um, the the, the um, in a sense, let's say, what makes these countries emit very strongly at the moment is still a a dynamic that is strongly pointing to development, right? So the very right. strong land use conversion um, that is there now. Also, to point out for for your listeners, because this is not something that is necessarily obvious through the paper is is we follow a um, so-called territorial approach because we're trying to mimic how countries would report their emissions to the climate convention also to be relevant to that process and so some of the emissions that you see that are allocated here to certain countries they are allocated to those countries because the production and the say quote-unquote associated destruction is located in those countries. That doesn't mean that, you know, the embedded emissions in products such as soybean, let's say, right, or palm oil, um, those products are often um, exported to richer countries, right? Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't see that on on this list. So you're attributing kind of where they where they end up or where they... We're attributing where they are generated. Gener- right? Generated. So, yeah. Um, and do you do any comparison between um, the effects of, of let's say, more deforestation and conversion of land use compared to other sort of develop, further developed countries um, whose emissions come from more of an industrialized 
you know, standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there a way to kind of compare those two to see which ones emit the most, <laughs> which ones are worse, mm-hmm. if you will? Or is that just like a false comparison? Um, no, it's not a false. I mean, it's obviously, I mean, I, I deal with data all the time. So comparisons are always tricky, right? Because you, you, you can make a lot of comparisons and right. on things that sound, you know, cool and, and interesting. And, and sometimes, you know, there's a lot of things that need to be explained behind it to, to really come up with, with something that is useful in the end for action, let's say. But uh, in this case, I mean, we do have the information because... Uh, you know, we track the, the processes separately, right? So we do know um, how much was emitted, uh, let's say, on the farm versus on the land conversion component versus everything that came afterwards. It, it, mentally, you can think of the three as, you know, a mix of the three, in a sense, defines the, in general, right? Like there are exceptions, but defines the development level of, of the country. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so as as we said before, I mean, a lot of countries, and now we're not talking about the Brazils of the world or or, or the Indonesians, but maybe a, a lot of smaller countries in in you know truly developed you know early development stages, um, you know, have most of their emissions that come not even from the farm, but let's say from from the land use conversion. Right. It's sort of the beginning of that of that development path. Um, but of course, you know, when you then compare the impacts of those on the global, you know, uh, uh, numbers, that's, that's, that's very small. That doesn't mean, you know, but what comes up uh, of interest there is it's this current process with the climate conversion, with the climate um, um, uh, process, right, the, the framework uh, convention, uh, where every country is supposed to contribute some mitigation, you know, as a, in relation to, to their national emissions. And in many of these countries, there's not a lot of emission apart from, from these ones. Mm-hmm. So even if they're small, they are, you know, in a sense, that's the only place they, where they can look for, for mitigating their emissions. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other interesting thing is, if I may, but, you know, please uh, of course. Keep, me, keep me within the bounds of my, no, no, please. Of my discourse is one of the things that comes out of, of this um, of this paper, um, again, once you think about it exposed, it's obvious, but it's not, you know, it, it wasn't obvious in the numbers that, that we had before. So we, we used to think that, you know, once you solve the, the development problem, let's say, right? And, and so you, you arrived at a sustainable agricultural production within the farm, and therefore you've solved all your land use problems, uh, land use change problems, then things would be fine. Um, but in fact, what this paper highlights very strongly is that, of course, that's, you know, everybody wants that. And, and it's it's a great goal uh, in, in in its own right to stop deforestation, stop peatland degradations and other ecosystems. But then, you know, what, what this paper points out is after you do that, you still have the big problems with the energy use on the on the post-production process. And so it's basically highlighting that, you know, both sets of countries have mitigation obligations. They just sit in different parts of the economy uh, or, let's say, in different parts of, of, of the objectives on how mm-hmm. to reach them. On one side, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, proper uh, 
management of ecosystems. On the other is you know mitigation by looking at things such as not shifting from use of fossil fuels into renewables when it's you know we can you can't avoid using energy to process things uh, you know i'm sure we'll get into this part of, of this of the interview by you know reducing waste and 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 mm-hmm. all sorts of of, of things um, yeah so in well in terms of like the overall the, your overall results, the like, um, you know, top line that the headlines, mm-hmm. you found that global per and correct me if I'm wrong, but global per capita annual food related emissions have declined over mm-hmm. the, the period that you studied. Is this yeah. correct? Yeah, no, that's correct. And, and that's another uh, important outcome of, of the paper because, um, you know, it's not. You know, it's 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 better than what's actually going on with uh, global uh, greenhouse gas emissions per capita, right? Because those are you know things tend to come down over time by matter of uh, economies of scales, you know, increased efficiencies in in every sector of the economy. But if you look at greenhouse gas emissions globally, you know, I think over the last twenty years or so, they've, they've basically stayed fairly constant, right? Whereas to see this this trend in in the food system component, while you know also noting that food systems contribute about a third to the total, is is encouraging. Now, uh, if you really want to look behind, you know, under the hood and see why this is going on at the moment, mm-hmm. I mean, the the main driver of this is the the, the reduced rates of uh, it's it's the land use. So it's you know we seen over the last 15 years, um, 20 years maybe, but especially in the last 10, 5, you know, uh, big decreases in deforestation rates, um, you know, and although they're still important, you know, and it's, they deserve attention until they they go to near zero, uh, those have come, down, have come down significantly. So those those economies that you mentioned before, which are basically strongly emerging economies, are um, you know at least moving away from the very high rates that were uh, present around the year two thousand or so. So that is that's what, because what's they, driving. But is this because they already developed the land, like you know, well, it's in the past, or are the rates really slowing down? The, the rates at which this conversion is happening. Well, it's a you know, it, and it's it's a you know, it's it's a it's a continuous battle that we cannot you know cannot abandon. But let's say in, in countries like Brazil, despite reports of deforestation rates having picked up again over the last few years, there has been you know very significant efforts, you know, including you know at, at the at the national regula- regulation levels that have tried to um, to keep. You know, to 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 reduce rates, to 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 encourage people to conserve land, to you know provide incentives uh, of of you know different kinds, monetary, but also assistance mm-hmm. in 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 trying to slow that down, including, of course, then international agreements. Right? I mean, the climate convention and the agreement uh, for trying to reach Paris um, heavily depend on what countries do. Um, in terms of their land conversion, so there there are incentives that are being built, including you know, incent- monetary ones through carbon credits or you know, similar systems where 
countries pay attention and, and try to put some regulations in place. Mm-hmm. So at the same, I mean, are you worried that this little bit of good climate change related news could lead to a kind of relaxing of certain standards, taking our foot off the gas, so to speak? Uh, well, um, not really because, um, you know, the, the, the task that we have ahead and we're talking, you know, we've set for ourselves multiple goals, but, you know, one of the main one, both for the sustainable development and for the climate change is 2030. And unfortunately, you know, the time is, uh, you know, clock is ticking and it's now less than nine years away. Mm-hmm. Um, the scale of what we need to do is so huge and we're going to be reminding ourselves through, you know, multiple uh, processes. Uh, you know, we have a, a monitoring uh, international monitoring efforts in place, which you know regularly will remind the world of where we are. And now, you know, so f- from that perspective, um, I'm not worried because the messages that will come out repeatedly out of those exercises they were not doing nearly enough. Right. And so that will will serve as a reminder that you know there's almost nowhere where we could. Um, Relax. You know, so, yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but 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 as you said, I mean, there is, you know, I, we're writing other, you know, current papers on the follow up of this. Um, there is a little bit of um, danger that, you know, especially the story on land use, that it's becoming, let's say, quote unquote, better, right? Because there are these this major countries that are uh, reducing their emissions. There is a little bit of danger that people sort of take their attention away, maybe move it towards you know, supply chains and, and the more developed sort of processes. And so our task, of course, is to try to, to keep the message alive that, that mm-hmm. mitigation needs to happen across all, you know, all the, the range of food systems. Okay, we're going to take a quick uh, commercial break to hear a word from our sponsors, but we will be right back, so stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Garden Cult, Garden Design and Coaching. Carmen DeVito is a professional garden designer, certified New York State landscape professional, and the founder of Garden Cult. You may also know her from HRN's home gardening videos and our series, We Dig Plants. Garden Cult is a culmination of Carmen's more than two decades of experience designing and building gardens in New York City. Carmen believes that gardens and outdoor spaces should be healthy, environmentally sustainable places that enhance the health of people, nature, and the planet. She knows how to help you maximize the space you've got, help you work with and make the most of the materials, plants, and trees that you already have, and create an outdoor place to use and enjoy for you and your family. Get started at GardenCult.com. For a 15% discount on virtual garden consultations and coaching sessions, use code HRN15 through September 30th, 2021. That's code HRN15 at GardenCult.com. And we're back on Eating Matters, where today I'm speaking with Francesco Dubiero from the FAO about the recent report demonstrating that food systems worldwide account for more than a third of global greenhouse gas emissions. I mean, especially, I mean, the report highlights um, also how global food systems are becoming more energy intensive, right? Which reflects the yep. 
um, would you say that's da- the downstream effects? Sure. Um, what can really be done around things like refrigeration, right? I think mm-hmm. that that comes up in, in the report quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is still lacking in developing countries, and that leads to other big problems like food waste and, mm-hmm. you know, poor quality. So what are some recommended interventions or, or do you have any um, to address this? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the the issue here is, I mean, there is, of course, a range of interventions. The um, the issue is that, uh, I mean, there there's both a positive and a negative in looking at food systems as a as a whole system, right? Mm-hmm. The, the positive is that it highlights, you know, the problem from within a, a a theme that it's important, which is food, right? So we quantify that it's a third of the emissions. We quantify this dynamics that we just discussed. And they're all important in, in, in the sense that they serve, you know, to, to focus the public's attention to to to, to this uh, to this issue. Uh, mm-hmm. The downside is that the food system. I mean, it's you know, once you look, at, you know, once you look at, at its components, it's it's a range of heterogeneous parts, right? Because we discussed ourselves about production on the farm, right? Which is, mm-hmm. you know, and so you can do a lot of things there, but basically have to do with agronomy. Basically, you know, improved crop and livestock uh, production. Um, there is that component on ecosystem that is its own uh, set. And then, when you look at the post-processing, uh, of course, you you have some of the things you mentioned: so refrigeration because of the of the chlorofluorocarbons um, uh, that are involved in refrigeration. But then there is the waste issue. There is, uh, you know, how you produce. Uh, let's say inputs to come, you know, so it's an industry uh, component. So um, let's say setting it, so it, it's complex, right? Yes, um, yes. But there are, yeah, so the, the two things that you mentioned are are important and I don't think they're necessarily just an issue of, of developing countries because as I said, I mean, these are things that kick in very strongly along the development pathway right and especially once you get you know your economy going you know you're starting to use things that everyone uses and so the the challenge there is in part technology transfer right so the countries that are more advanced you know the usa's the europeans and others that are in part already dealing with this through you know the development of more efficient um machinery let's say Mm-hmm. Uh, in a sense, I have an opportunity to make sure that when the new countries come on on the block, right? Yeah. Um, they basically have access to you know the 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 the, the, the most uh, efficient uh, uh, production techniques, right? And there are actually you know in the climate convention there are a lot of provisions for this. I mean, you know, of course, the devil is in the detail. How do you actually make it happen? But let's say. That's one of the pathways, let's say, you know, technology transfer and assistance in, in, in aiding countries that come into, you know, the developed uh, group and, you know, not to repeat the same mistakes that we've been, you know, that we made over the last 30 to 40 to 50 years, right? Yeah. Um, so that's one area. I mean, waste is, of course, a, a very important one. I mean, yes. from, from two components, you know, right, so f- food waste is... You know, we talk about food loss and waste, but uh, uh, so, you know, both are important. Um, 
and they are important for a number of reasons. That's that's an area where we can bring back that link between you know food security and and mitigation in sort of one unified problem that uh, has many <laughs> positive angles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because food waste, let's say, from a mitigation component is a problem because, you know, you start emitting unnecessarily uh, greenhouse gases that you didn't have to if you had uh, used that food more efficiently on, on the one hand. Um, some of the of the quantification that we made in the paper actually have to do with the methane that comes out of, of landfills where most of the organic waste ends up. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on opposite side, if you, you know, forget for a second about the emissions and, and the mitigation needs, there is sort of a, almost a, a, a moral uh, imperative, right, of um, making the most out of the food that we produce today. I mean, we, it's been noted in, in, you know, many times that we actually make enough food, produce enough food for everyone on the planet. Uh, and we yet, already we are, do. We already do. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, we waste and lose and waste about 30% of it. Uh, and so that 30% translates both in primarily, I would say, in, in terms of food security solutions, right? If you were able to distribute that more efficiently, we'd be basically there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the same time, I would say at this point, I would look at more as, as a byproduct, right? Like, you know, as, as opposed to the main driver on why to do this, um, you would end up then, you know, re- having less waste and therefore having, for, you know, wasting, you know, emitting less, less greenhouse right. gases. Yeah. But food waste wasn't really, did you really look at that? So yes and no. Uh, I mean, let's say the answer is yes, but, but it's tricky, right? Because um, let's say from a technical perspective in, in terms of computation, what is, you know, what contributes to the emissions that are quantified in the paper is the, what we call the food waste disposal, right? Mm-hmm. So the food that it's discarded or it's wasted in supermarkets or in, in the house and that gets thrown out and then eventually disposed of if it's not uh, um, composted, you know, it ends up in the in the landfill and there, you know, it rots and emits methane basically, mm-hmm. right? So in a sense, when you look at the food systems as this, you know, whole uh, concept that those get counted. But usually, you know, what people... Uh, and most likely your, your uh, listeners think of when they think of food waste is what we discussed before, right? The, the amount that it's wasted before it's fed to um, to people. So that Pre-con- part... Pre-consumer, that, yeah. Yeah. So that part is implicitly included in the... Well, implicitly and explicitly, but it's included in the paper, you know, insofar we cover the entire production chain, right? Mm-hmm. So... So we, we cover production before it gets lost or wasted. So those emissions, you know, are are accounted for, uh, but they are not singled out. They're not they? teased out. Yeah. 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 Um, what about the role of packaging? Um, mm-hmm. when, you, when you talk about its um, impact, mm-hmm. is that primarily around the um, fossil fuels that are used to create the plastic packaging or... What what do you mean by that in in the report? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that was I think another you know maybe in you know in, in the entire in the, the larger scheme of things as a small component but important because it it was I think the first time there was 
quantified in, in such details and by country as well as globally. So one of the things that came out is that the emissions from packaging are basically comparable to, to the ones from food transport, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is not, well, you know, again, you know, some of these things when you think of, about them exposed might, might become more or less obvious if you think about it, but the point of the paper is it actually quantified in numbers, so <laughs> there's right. not much of, of a discussion. So, yeah, I mean, the emissions that come from packages are mostly linked to the to the industrial production, right, of mm-hmm. plastics mostly. Um, and, and so the, that 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 sort of processing and the energy that it's spent uh, in producing them, right? There is a small component in terms of. Um, uh, organic packaging because that has some impact on on uh, forest dynamics, but but that was a minor component in the calculations. Uh, and by organic, do you mean like um, compostable well, I mean, yeah. packaging? Yeah. Sorry, I meant uh, pulp and paper, right? Production. Okay. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Interesting. Um, well, we have to wrap up in in just a minute, but I want to how. How do you? Uh, how can we make better use of the data that you're collating? Like how you know when you're when you're doing this study, how do you mm-hmm. hope it will be used? Well, uh, the hope, of course, is that it's <laughs> as useful as, as possible. One of the reasons we put out these products, especially from an FAO perspective, but of course, the European Union has sort of the same approach in this. Right? We we, we tend to to produce things that we think as, as, as public goods, right? Mm-hmm. So first of all, the database is there, it's free to use, everybody can, can access the data. Uh, and because, you know, it has this granularity, so it compare, you know, you're able to compare uh, one country to another. I mean, one of the hopes is, is that it can be used, especially, um, you know, within regions by countries to, to sort of, first of all, you know, analyze, um, you know, where they are compared to, you know, global and regional, sub-regional averages, um, make, you know, uh, a more detailed analysis of which of these three components that we discussed before, you know, have this, this important interplay are, are most important. Um, and then use the information to set out uh, their mitigation strategies, you know, for, um well, in this case, you know, the major process in, in, in town here is, is the Climate Convention, but also for sustainable uh, development goals, right? Um, mm-hmm. We find often, I mean, from an FAO perspective, I mean, one thing that needs to be said very clearly, you know, we, we don't have the pretense to tell countries what their, you know, their dynamics look like, right? We, what they should be we, doing. Right. Well, yeah, it should be doing for sure. But even the data, right? I mean, we put out what we call estimates based on, you know, certain methodologies that are commonly accepted. Um, at the end of the day, the countries are still kings and queens in, you know, putting out their national official view. Right. The point is that many con- many of the countries that we work with are not in a position to, you know, to develop data with this this level of, of granularity of details and, and that's why i'm saying in terms of public goods not just for the users at home but also for countries that are not yet able to arrive at this this level of, of details they then can use them to set policies and hopefully uh efficient and, and good policies for um, for the climate 
Uh, so it's, they're not, you know, on their, on their list of things to do, <laughs> um, <laughs> this kind of sophisticated de- you know, data collection and, and analysis is, um, not top of their list. You're providing this, this service for them. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it may way. be top of, yes, sure. No, no, of, of course. I mean, data is, you know, is, is becoming to the fore of the attention of everyone. It's, 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 you know, it's just difficult to produce them consistently and comparably uh, over right, time. Right. So that's I'm like, not in the U.S. For... No, <laughs> Not in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, we're good. We don't like facts here anymore. No. <laughs> um, so, uh, okay, so final, final question. What is next? I mean, you just put out this, like, incredible report. This database is is now available that, you know, represents an enormous amount of work. Um, so I kind of hate to ask this, but I am curious, mm. like, what, what next? What are you, you going to be focusing on? Well, yeah, I mean, the next, there are several next steps. I mean, some of them are sort of, uh, you know, maybe boring to the out, outside. I, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll let no. you judge for it. Part, yeah. part of the work for us, and especially from an FAO perspective now, because as you mentioned before, rightly, this is a collaboration between us and the JRC, where they had sort of the advantage on the post-production component. And we, of course, have the advantage on the farm uh, plus land use. So we're trying to develop a you know a stronger collaboration so that we can keep up this this product over time. And you know, from an FAO perspective, of course, we're also trying to move the machinery within FAO so that we can serve our countries sort of independently. You know, whenever they ask us. Mm-hmm. So right now, as we always do with databases, the, f- the first part is to have it sustainable over time, and we have a version now that arrives to 2018 already. Uh, mm-hmm. With that, with that goal of then keeping it updated every year, right? To to provide not just uh, a knowledge base, but also some sort of you know quote unquote because the world is very politically charged. But it's a monitoring platform of seeing how things evolve around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then you know, of, of course, you know what we do next often depends on, on what countries ask us to do in terms of 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 interest but one of the things we're interested in is maybe go a bit deeper into this you know per capita uh dynamics that you mentioned before to try to understand a bit better um the breakup between the the various uh components between agricultural land and and post-production mm-hmm. and um yeah and just uh make sure that the the data keep on keep on flowing um, yeah over time yeah well i want to thank you so much for coming on the show um congratulations on you know getting this out there and i can't wait to have you back um with the updated information (laughs) as that as that comes out okay thank you it was my pleasure I want to give a big thanks to our sponsors for their generous support. Show intern is Amber Chong. Our engineer is Matt Patterson. And music is by Tim Archer. All episodes of Eating Matters are available on the HRN website or wherever podcasts are found. I'm Jenna Liute, and thanks for listening.